title of tonight's message is Sound the Alarm. And if we get my PowerPoint up there, there's going to be an alarm clock that looks like it's ringing. From here, Paul? Yeah, just click on the show. There we go. Good. Thank you. An alarm clock. It can be a blessing or it could be a nuisance. Depends on which way you look at it and what it's doing in your life at the time. Well, as we get into Romans 13, remember now we're in the section of Romans where it's the practicality of our walk. It's very uh, specific as how we can act in certain situations. Let's take a look at the first few verses of Romans chapter 13. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to do good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. Wow. That is one heck of a statement if you examine history. Just think of some of the dictators throughout history. Think of some of the things that are going in our land today that are contrary to the Bible and what God's Word tells us to do and not to do. Well, remember, God's Word is here for our instruction. And Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So He never changes. And although our culture can be going up and down like a roller coaster, His Word, His character, His nature is the same. How does a believer in Russia or China or Germany during the reign of these dictators? They're dead and they're in heaven right now. But what about the time that they lived on this earth under these type of tyrants? Think about some of the laws that we have in our land now that go against God's word. How do you and I handle that? as believers in the United States of America. Well, we can look at Scripture. We're going to look at a couple Old Testament examples and uh, one or two New Testament examples. In Daniel 2, 21, God's Word says, "...and He changes the times and the seasons." He removes kings and raises up kings. 
He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. We all know the great story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Three of the young men who were taken to captivity to Babylon. And because they would not bow down to the image of Nebuchadnezzar, they were thrown into a fiery furnace. And in Daniel three sixteen to 18, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Three young guys with that attitude. What an awesome warrior, Christian mentality to have. Think of the alarm clock. Where are we in the history of the church? Where are we in our history of our culture today? What's going on? Where good is bad and bad is good. I'd like you to turn to Daniel chapter 5, please. Daniel chapter 5, verse 18 to 23. Daniel chapter 5, verse 18 to 23. O King, the Most High, God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom and majesty, glory and honor. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. And whomever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up, And his spirit was hardened in pride. He was deposed from his kingly throne. And they took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beast. And his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven. Till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men. And appoints over it whomever he chooses. But you... His son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this. And you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessel. I'm sorry, just stop it, Lord of heaven. And you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. What is God trying to speak to us through all of Romans? We found out that we all come short. We're not perfect. We're all sinners. We're in need of a Savior. None of us can keep the law. The law was only to show us that we are sinners and we need a Savior. Here we look at Romans 13, talking about governing authorities and being submissive to them and obey them. But yet, how much are we learning from our history, both from a secular and a Christian standpoint? Are we sleeping in the comforts of our society? 
Or are we alert and awake and ready for what the Lord wants to do in us and through us to be different and swim against the tides of our culture? As I just read Daniel 5, 18 to 23, we see Belshazzar, the son of Nebuchadnezzar. He saw what happened in his dad's reign. He knew his dad was the most powerful king. And yet, he went crazy for a time. The Lord shed his grace on him. He was insane. And then he came back to acknowledge the Lord of that he was the supreme king. And he raises up and he puts down whoever he wishes. We need to be cautious, everybody, of what's going on in our world today. Few points. Are you or have you ever been ashamed of your faith? Have you ever been ashamed? Have you ever taken your faith for granted? Are you willing to die for your beliefs? The stronger your beliefs, the more you're willing to put your life on the line. How do you know when your life, I'm sorry, how do you know when your beliefs are being tested? Can be in conversations. But how about with those three dictators that I showed you? And you're confronted by a regime who asks you to denounce your Lord and Savior. How would we handle that? How would we pass the test? Are we willing to die for our beliefs? One of the things I just started praying a few days ago after I was reading some things is that I would have a martyr's faith. A martyr's faith. Willing to be executed if it ever came to that in our society. Willing to stand up for my Lord and be executed for my belief system. Last point is, do you believe God is in control? Do we really believe that? How often we come to church on a Wednesday or a Sunday... And how much, how often are we really looking for what God is trying to teach us through his word versus just doing it out of habit? You know, they say you do something for 30 days, it's a habit. You know, many of us have been doing the church thing for years. But are we getting anything out of it? Are we growing in our faith, in our walk with Jesus Christ? Is something happening from the inside out? Hopefully, yes. Hopefully, yes. We're right there in Daniel 6, and I'm not going to read those verses, but basically what's going on is this is the part where it's the lion's den, and there's a new king. His name is Darius. And Darius liked Daniel. Daniel was an older man. But there were enemies in the kingdom. And they were trying to find out some way to trip up Daniel. 
So they said the only way we're going to trip him up is if we go after his belief system and try to get him somehow on what he believes. So they had a written decree that anybody who made a petition of any other person or God than Darius for a period of time would be punished. Well, Daniel was a man with a belief system. And even though this decree was put forth, he went up and like he did every day, he prayed. And he didn't go into the closet to pray. He just prayed an open window. And these guys who were trying to trap him saw him, reported him to the king. And the king was bummed out because he liked Daniel. But what happened was he was thrown into the lion's den. And we know the story. He survived. The king was pumped because, you see, a man like Daniel, a man or woman of character who stands for their belief system, has an influence on the people around them, sometimes for the good. Sometimes it stirs up jealousy in the hearts of the other people, so much so that they want you killed. Well, Daniel survived. King was so psyched and pumped that the God of Daniel's saved him that he threw in those guys who were trying to kill Daniel. And they say before they hit the ground, the lions had torn them apart and eaten them. In John chapter 19, Verses 10 and 11, a New Testament example. Verse 10, this is Pilate speaking to Jesus. Then Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? And Jesus answered, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Wow. Huh? Here's this guy that's in a position that God put him in. And he's facing the very person who put him in that power position. And out of his ignorance, he's saying, Jesus, don't you know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? I wonder what Jesus' body language was like when he answered Pilate. Pilate, you could have no power at all against me if it wasn't given to you from above. In Acts chapter 4, verses 17 and 18, some of the apostles were told to quit talking about Jesus. Stop talking about Jesus. We're going to beat you. We're going to throw you in prison. We might even kill you. And this was their response in verses 17 and 18 of chapter 4, the book of Acts. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them, that from now on they speak to no man in, his, in this name. So they called them and they commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. 
for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. Now, this was a great victory at the time. But remember, later on, Peter loses his life for preaching in the same name that he was saved from right here. We have to understand that the story on this earth doesn't always turn out in our favor. Right now, somewhere in the world, there are people being persecuted and killed for their belief in Jesus Christ. When they're killed, and it looks like a victory for the government on this earth, in a blink of an eye, they're present with the Lord and their victory is won. So we have to be careful. We don't look at those circumstances, how they turn out through the world's eyes, but through Jesus Christ's eyes. One of the things, as we see in verses 6 and 7, going back to Romans now, if you flip back to Romans 13, verses 6 and 7. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. And we saw in the first five verses, if you resist the governing authorities, there should be fear because they're going to carry out their justice. How many of us in our lifetime, if we see a policeman with the red cherry going on behind, what's your first thought? Oh, I hope it's not me. Or what do you do? You look down and look at your speedometer right away. And even if you think you're okay, and they're getting closer and closer, you don't do a sigh of relief and your heart doesn't get back to normal until they pass you. But that's part of what God has set up to put boundaries in our society with the different people that are there, whether it be a mayor of a town, a senator, a president. They're put there by the Lord. They're his ministers, and they're accountable for what they're doing in their job. And the taxes we pay, we do that out of obedience to the Lord to pay for some of the things like the government officials, the police, the fire, the teachers, Everything is coming out through the taxes. We see throughout history where that isn't so and how the people are held, they don't have the freedom and they're under the thumb of the government. Where is our society going? Are we going to stay free? Are we going to be a democracy? Are we going to stay a republic? Time will tell. But are we alert and are we awake to the signs of the times? In Luke 20, 20 to 26, 
There's always people who are trying to trip up believers in Jesus Christ. Don't think it's something unusual because they did it to our Lord. In verses 20 to 26 of Luke 20, so they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be righteous that they might seize on his words in order to deliver him to the power and the authority of the governor. Then they asked him saying, teacher, we know that you say and teach rightly and you do not show personal favoritism, but teach the way of God in truth. It is, is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, Why do you test me? Show me a denarius. Whose image and inscription does it have? They answered and said, Caesar's. And he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. But they could not catch him in his words in the presence of the people, and they marveled at his answer and kept silent. Question I have, when they looked at the coin, they saw Caesar's image on it. And Jesus used that as a way to pay the taxes. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Give the government their due. It's part of our, God's plan to have society run in order. But notice what Jesus said, and I don't want you to miss this. He says, and to God, the things that are God's. In Genesis 1.27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You and I have the image of the creator stamped on us. We're to give to God the things that are God's. Remember, you're the image of the king. You're a child of the king. You're a son or daughter of the king. Never forget that. And when it comes down to laws passed, remember you're a child of the king first, stamped in his image before you are a person of the state if it ever gets to that point. Okay, let's go to Romans 13, 8 to 10, our next section. And now, from the practicality of things, now we're looking at a spiritual uh, aspect. Paul goes right at the heart of the issue of everything we're talking about so far. Verse 8, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Remember in the Old Testament, we saw the Ten Commandments. And that shell is a command. You shall not commit adultery. It's a command. It's not a request. It's not a true and false. It's not a multiple choice. It's a command by God himself. And we saw that we can't keep his commandments. 
His commandments are perfect. But remember what they are. It's just to show us our need that we are sinners, that we need a Savior. We aren't perfect. We have a sin nature. The law shows us that we're sinners. Then we take the New Testament, the New Covenant, and we see that God sums it all up in you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And when you look at all the commands in the Old Testament, you shall not, you shall not, you shall not. This one simply says you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love doesn't do harm to a neighbor. So if you were loving your neighbor, you wouldn't commit adultery. You wouldn't murder. You wouldn't steal. You wouldn't bear false witness. You wouldn't covet because you're concerned with others. You're not self-centered. You're other-centered because God has changed your heart. It's a supernatural thing. If we don't have Jesus, we can't do this. It's impossible to happen. It's part of our sin nature to worry about us instead of others. Talk about love. And you could spend a whole year or probably more on just the love in the scriptures. But some of the ones that I put up here tonight, love covers a multitude of sins. Perfect love cast out all fear. God is love. God is love. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your enemies. Love your enemies. Love your enemies. Love those who irritate you. Anybody come to mind? You might be looking at that person right now. Love your enemies. How do you do that? That's supernatural to love an enemy. Love one another as I have loved you. How did Jesus love us? He died for us. Are we willing to die for another? Notice the fruit of the Spirit is love. The only way this is all going to happen is if it's produced in your life as a result of you abiding in the vine, which is Jesus Christ. That's the only way these changes can take place in any of our lives. And... Again, are we willing to lay down our lives? Romans 13, verse 11, the next passage. And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Do you know what time it is? Do you know what time it is in the spiritual clock in your life? Do I know in my own life? How serious am I or you in your spiritual walk with the Lord? Time is running out, you know. Every second time is running out. We're running out of time. Are you ready to meet the Lord face to face? Are you ready? Right now, are you ready? If he was to come tonight. And if you don't know or your answer is no, then why not? Like what's going on 
that's preventing you from saying, oh yeah, I'm ready. Be awesome to see the Lord right now face to face. That would be tremendous. What's keeping you from saying a resounding, yeah. Look at that verse 11 and do this, knowing the time. Do you know the time that we're in? Do you understand what's going on? Do you understand there's things lining up in the Middle East that is bringing prophecy, jumping off the pages of the scriptures and the newspapers? Do you understand things in our country are falling apart morally? Good is bad. Bad is good. Whether it's TV, movies, magazines, it's unbelievable. I think of the little baby that's being born today. If the Lord tarries, what's it going to be like in 20 years for that little baby? It's high time to awake out of sleep. God's calling you and me to a wake-up call. In our personal walk with Him, in our collective fellowship with one another, and where we go each and every day of our lives when we're not together here in this house. God prepares us But the preparation doesn't stop here. It continues in your own devotional time. It continues in your own reading time. Are you getting ready? Are you getting ready for what's coming? The Lord wants us to be on the cutting edge. Matthew 24, 42. Thinking about these things of are we ready? It says, watch therefore... For you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. That's a warning that God gives us. We can be very comfortable as Christians doing the church thing Wednesday and Sunday. But the real test is those 8, 10, 15 hours during the day that we're with other people and in different situations. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 says, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. I don't know if any time there was a thief that broke into your car or your house and how that felt to you, that you were violated, that that feeling of someone coming into your home. That happened to Marie and I years ago. And I'll tell you, for the next few months, we slept with the dresser right up against our door. It was very unnerving to know that somebody was in our house. Well, number one, we don't want the Lord to come as a thief because we're looking at him to come as our friend, as our savior, as our dad. We're waiting for that reunion. But are any of us living a life that it would be as a thief if he surprised us, that we would be in shock if he surprised us, that we would be caught off guard if he surprised us. And in Jonah 1.6, it says, So the captain came to Jonah and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. If you remember the story of Jonah, Jonah was sleeping down in the bottom of the ship and there was a storm and he was oblivious to it. There's a storm outside these walls. 
what's going on in our world today. It's a vicious, vicious, dark, deadly storm. Are we the sleeper? Or are we alert and awake, waiting to do whatever we can to save others from going down with the ship? We need to pray that for opportunities to be an influence on those people around us. Matthew 25, 7. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. This is a story, if you remember, of the bridegroom. The bride was waiting for the bridegroom to come and get her. And all the virgins had lamps, but some had a lot of oil and the others oil ran out and they didn't replenish it. So when the bridegroom was coming here in 25.7 in Matthew, the ones that had the oil were ready. They were ready. And this is you and I. Are we ready for when the Lord comes? We're going to be called out of our sleep. Are we alert and ready to go? But then there's going to be other people that are sitting in the pews that we sit in that aren't going to be ready. And notice what these virgins said. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps. And they couldn't. And the reason they couldn't was, you must be filled with Jesus. You must be filled with his Holy Spirit. You can't give it to them. It's got to be a personal thing between them and the Lord. You can't take your whole family with you. It's an individual decision in your relationship with Jesus. It's a personal relationship. Romans 13, 12, it says, The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. The night is far spent. It's almost over, is what Paul's saying. It's almost over. The day is at hand. Wake up. Be alert. Be ready for what the Lord is going to do. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. And we've all come from this culture, whether you're young or old. And I think it really is wrapped up in these three things, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I don't think it's changed. It's the same. It's the same things that are really sending a lot, a lot of people to hell unless the Lord comes down and just pulls them out like he did many of us. There's a darkness out there, a spiritual darkness. And it says, notice, put on the armor of light. In Colossians 3.16, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. You know, you don't have to do that just here. There's so many ways you can do that today. Technology has made it easy to have praise songs piped in right through your headsets. Don't allow it to just be twice a week, dear people. Just be allowing God's word to dwell in you richly. Notice, 
teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and songs. And Ephesians 6, 11 says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, the strategy. There's a strategy going on. The devil doesn't sleep. His demonic army doesn't sleep. Trying to put one over on you. Trying to get you off course. Trying to get you to sleep while the whole world is perishing. Verse 17 of Ephesians 6. And whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Maria was sharing something from the women's conference. That only what you do for Christ will last. Everything is on the, the lost list. Everything else is on the lost list. Only what's going to you do for Christ is on the win list. What are we doing for Christ? Hopefully that list is tremendous. Because everything else not done for Christ is on the lost list. Doesn't matter. Just going to burn up wood, hay, and stubble. Last two verses. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness. That word revelry is carousing, just going around, party attitude, loud, obnoxious, not really caring whose ears or heart or feet you step on. And that drunkenness, just being controlled by another spirit and not the Holy Spirit, putting yourself in a position to be under the wiles of the devil. Not in lewdness and lust, sexual impurity. Lust. Lust can be anything from sexual to power to money to fame. Not in strife, arguing spirit. Just arguing, always contentious, always just bickering. And envy, jealousy. Wanting what someone else has. Not happy for a person for what they are being blessed with by the Lord. And in verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Remember in the last verse, it was to put on the armor of light. In this last verse 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the light. He is our armor. We put him on. We go to him. Colossians 3.10, it says, And having put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Remember, you're a new man, a new woman in Christ. The old has passed away. You're being renewed every time you sit under a teaching from God's Word, every time you open up the Bible and read. Every time you pray, you're being renewed. Your knowledge is increasing. You're more and more into that image that God has stamped you with, His image. In 1 John 2, 16-17, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. 
And the world is passing away. The world is passing away. It's all temporary. And the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Forever. One is dying, one is living forever. Forever. The choice of how we live is ours each and every day. I pray that this would be us. That this would be part of our life one day. That when the Lord calls us to the sky to meet him in the air. That we're seeing it. We're going up and we're just laughing. We're just going ballistic. Going up to be with the Lord. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if it happened right now? We wouldn't be tired anymore, everybody. This rain would not bother us. It would be unbelievable what would be taking place. Boy, that would be great if that's the Lord's will for each of us. But if not, in the blink of an eye, when our heart stops, we're going to be in the presence of the Lord. And either way, it's going to be heavenly. It's going to be paradise. Let's pray. Father, I thank you.